Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Charlie Brown Jr. More news on Gabriel Deck and also just going to be discussing kind of the small ball situation we have going on between Isaiah Roby, Tony Bradley, and Moses Brown and kind of where they all piece together in the 48-minute rotation. But starting it out, we got news on Charlie Brown Jr. So get all the corny little jokes out the way. Maybe get the Charlie Brown theme song going on. I'd do it. I feel like I'd probably get like some little strike on it. I don't know how copyright works on podcasts, but it'd probably do it if I did that. So just try to envision or imagine there's a Charlie Brown theme song going on. But anyways, we ended up signing him to a 10-day contract. And the reason we were able to sign him was the previous guy we had for the last 20 days and Justin Robinson, his contract came to an end today, and with that, there's a new opening. The only other option you have, or I guess there's two options, whenever you are done with your second 10-day contract, there's like an ultimatum the team has to go through. So either it is going to be they opt to extend their player to the remainder of the season, so they give them a one-year, probably minimum-scale contract, or they just drop them and they can't get him on another 10-day because then someone would just, like, abuse the system. So you only get two 10-days, and then you, you know, make a call after that. And the Thunder, they made a pretty strong call. I think Justin Robinson didn't even log 10 minutes. I I take it back. He probably didn't even log, like, 20 minutes in the last 10 days. He just was kind of the 15th man, and he wasn't called upon much. Like, the games that he was really did not have a big role anyways. So maybe it was just, like, a nice gesture to him. But they didn't really use him, and that's kind of how it worked to end his um, first 10-day contract anyways. Like, he played pretty solid in his debut, got nine points, made some nice passes, but then he had guys come back in uh, Lou Dort and Darius Baisley, and the minutes were just gone. So he couldn't play, and with point guard kind of getting crammed now with Teo Maladone and Ty Jerome being there, because since Dort's back, you can't really do lineups where Ty is back up at the uh, the two guard. There just wasn't enough room for him. So, yeah, he didn't get a shot. And now they bring in a guy in Charlie Brown Jr. who is six foot six. So he doesn't play the point guard. He plays the two or the three. And I don't know. Maybe there's some way you carve out a role for him. I'd assume if you're getting him on a first 10-day contract, he's going to play at least for the first couple of games. But we'll see. I mean, I couldn't imagine you just sign someone into a 10-day and you just don't play him. So he's probably going to play. But yeah, at the 2-3 and three guard, he's going to be able to uh, fill in maybe for guys like Sfi, Dort if he's still injured, and also guys like Pogoshevsky if he's not going to be in. And then there's guys like Josh Hall too, but I don't think he's going to be playing. I don't know what's going on with him. So I don't know. He'll, he'll find some sort of position for at least the first like five days. I'd assume, but just kind of going into who Charlie Brown Jr. is, he he's actually 24 years old, so he's the fifth oldest guy on the team behind Horford, Muscala, Gabriel Deck, and Kendrick Williams, so he's kind of getting up there. Um, now, relative to the entire league, like 24 is young, there's still potential, but for our team, everybody's already like so, so young that it's weird to imagine that a 24-year-old's like on the t- upper half of uh, of the roster, but that's just how it is. So he's already 24 years old. He's got a seven-foot wingspan, and he kind of gives you a little bit of everything. So defensively, he's going to be able to get into 
kind of pickpocket situations. He's been averaging over a steal with the Iowa Wolves. That's just been something he's been known for throughout his career, just getting active there and even in the passing lanes. And when it comes to driving, I mean, he's got a little bit of hop to him. It's not like he's jumping out the gym, but he can get you a driving dunk every once in a while. And then from shooting, he does have a little bit of a weird jump shot. Like it takes him a good half a second or so to charge up his jumper and then push it off from like his shoulder. So it's a little bit weird uh, in catch and shoot situations. I don't think it's a problem. Kind of how I assess Deck in his shot. Like Deck's more of a standing shot. I don't know if I'd go there with Brown Jr. yet, but it's not really a quick release by any means. So if he's wide open, he's got it. But uh, if you got a strong closeout on him, it's not going to look pretty. So maybe he'll be able to refine that with us, but that's just what I saw from looking at his G League tape. Not a lot of it, surprisingly. I guess the G League, I can't really fault him because it was in Orlando and it's kind of a rush season, only 15 games. But there's like not that much um, highlights for some of these guys. And Charlie Brown Jr., he had a couple of 20-point games. One of them actually came against the OKC Blue in which him and... Um, Who's the guy on the Detroit Pistons I keep hyping up? Yeah, Tyler Cook. Him and Tyler Cook, they were like the one and two. Cook, I think he had like 26 points, and then Brown Jr. had 20. They were close. They didn't end up getting the W, but that was one of Brown Jr.'s best games, and I distinctly remember him from making some stupid shots. Like It seemed like they should have been out of the game, but it was always him just nagging us until the very bitter end. So he looked very good as a player, and he's kind of just looked good throughout his entire professional career but he kind of started out from like humble beginnings I mean he was only a three-star recruit coming out of high school went on to play for St. Joseph's and got the starting job pretty much instantly had a really good freshman season averaged 12.8 points five rebounds shot 38 percent from three and then he actually had a medical redshirt year so kind of in a typical situation that's a that's like a stunning stunning growth um kind of situation like that is a terrible spot for him to be in he ended up uh dealing with a broken left wrist I think it was so he was gone and yeah I guess he still had that eligibility so he was a sophomore going into his third year but he had a lot to kind of prove especially with that gap season scouts are looking at that as like a, a junior year they're just going to simply look at the age and if you're 20 21 years old you automatically have a higher expectation so he went in, and he was really good. He led the team in points and rebounds, had 19 points, 6.2 rebounds, and then he had a breakthrough as well, and he had 1.5 assists to go along with it. So he looked really good as a collective. He played 32 games in his last season with St. Joseph's, and then in the first one, he played 31. Really started, started all but one, so he was the guy. Uh, at St. Joseph's but he didn't end up getting drafted and I, I guess it's just they didn't have the attention like I think they went 14 and 19 it wasn't a good year for them but he had a good individual season it just was not enough to get him over the hump so he went undrafted in 2019 but he was one of the first guys to get a two-way contract and he got it from the Atlanta Hawks and yeah it was almost instant I think at the yeah I think it was the inaugural season for the G League team he played on the College Park Skyhawks, but he played with them for the majority of his uh, rookie year. Played 28 games, and he averaged 17.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, and 1.6 steals to go along with 1.3 blocks. So he was all over the board, doing just a little bit of everything. 
That's what you want to see for, you know, a team like us where we want to be mismatching. We want to have versatile units. He can play the two or three because of things like that. I wouldn't go as far to say he can play the four, but two and the three, yeah, he seems pretty good as a defensive guy. He can kind of use as a cog to a bigger, bigger system. But yeah, he did that. He played 10 games for the Hawks too, but he really didn't get many minutes at all. Like we're talking crumbs, four minutes a game to where even if you do score, it's not going to matter much. You can't really, can't really give someone four minutes and expect them to drop like 10 points and make a major turnaround. So I didn't really cut him out much of a role, but he did good in the G League. It just wasn't enough for a deal because the Hawks didn't want to give him a full-scale contract. They let him go into free agency. Didn't end up getting signed by anybody, but he did get a training camp deal from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that this is from this year. Must have been like an Exhibit 10. Just try him out in training camp, and they didn't have him on the active roster. They ended up waiving him in the cuts, and they still had the rights, so that's why he played for the Iowa Wolves, and that's what we saw from him and how he played in the bubble, where he averaged 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2 assists, and 1.7 steals, while going 35.5% from downtown. And I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was with the Skyhawks. He kind of had a down year from three, but he picked it back up in this one. So it's a very good sign, at least on his end, from, you know, where he's been improving from. When you're just looking at points, rebounds, yeah, it's a bit down, but you need to keep in mind with the Skyhawks, he was one of the primary options. With the Iowa Wolves, he seriously wasn't. I think that Cook was ahead of him. They might have even had Zylan Cheatham, too, who we had from a three-way deal. Whenever we traded away Steven Adams, got that major haul, we traded him away, or we waved him after we got him through the sign-in trade. Pretty sure he ended up with the Iowa Wolves. So they had a good amount of people. Um, I think there was some, I don't know, there's some dude like a mullet too. Some Barry, I don't know. He was just really good. So there are a lot of different scores. There's a reason why he wasn't going for 20 points. They just share the basketball around. And since it was a condensed season, there wasn't really much time for these G League guys to just rise into stardom. Really the only people getting 30 minutes every single game were people who were already on like a two-way contract or a full-scale deal just getting sent down below. So I thought he did pretty good with what uh, he was dealt, and it makes sense as to why the Thunder would like him. And as I as I mentioned, it's because he's six foot six, seven foot wingspan, and you want to be able to shore up the de the defense and then kind of work from there. We've seen it through guys like Kenrich Williams, and I think even with guys like Deck, I don't know if he's a defensive specialist per se, but the fact that he's six foot eight and kind of has some mobility, he can play the three and the four well. Williams can play the two through four. Roby can play the three through five. There's a serious pattern here, and Brown Jr. just fits in it. So it makes sense. You know, this was kind of the, this is kind of the same breed as like a Melvin Frazier Jr. almost, where it's a three and D specialist who has shown flashes around the basket. So I'm not that mad that we got Charlie Brown Jr. If we got Melvin Frazier Jr., I would have been happy. I thought that he was a little bit lackluster in the bubble, but. I think given a second chance, like in the league, he'd do well because Orlando never fetched him a real shot. But now we're getting another guy just like it in Brown Jr. where the Hawks didn't really believe in him. He quietly had a really good season with them, did pretty well with the Wolves, and we're going to scoop him up and kind of see what we can do. And I don't think this is going to be a player where we're going to keep him beyond this 
this year. That's just how it is. I mean, we have 12 games left, and Deck still has not played for us yet. So when he comes, he's taking priority at the three or the four. Wherever he wants to play, he's going to be getting minutes there. So Brown Jr., as soon as Deck walks in the door, he might he might be off the plank. But, um, yeah, I just don't know like where he'd situate himself. So it's probably going to be one of these things where he'll get a 10-day just like Robinson, he'll play a lot, like, front-loaded, and then just over time, he'll probably just decrease in minutes until he'd likely be out of the rotation, but this could be a shot as well where we could get him for the first 10-day, extend him for the next 10-day, and we're set because there's only 12 games left on the schedule. If we sign him for the next 20 days, that's going to cover almost all the remainder of the year. That's going to be 11 out of the 12 games, so... I see that potentially as what that deal is going to be. I don't know if we are going to have him immediately because we're going to have a back-to-back set. East Coast going up against the 76ers and I think the Boston Celtics. And that's going to be Monday and Tuesday. Maybe he plays for those. If they he just got signed, I would think he would because you're not just going to waste those two days. It's 20% of it. You're not trying to deal with that kind of road bump. So I think if we signed him, he's probably already situated, ready to travel with the team, just like Justin Robinson and Jalen Horde were. They were waiting like two weeks in, two weeks in advance for their opportunity. I think that's what's, um, what's kind of going on with Charlie Brown Jr. So he'll be ready. I don't know if he's going to be all like sparkles, but he's going to be a nice guy. You can just fill in and give maybe like, 10 to 12, maybe even up to like 16 minutes. So I want to see him off the bench. I think it's a good rotational piece and just see where he works, especially on defense. I think that on an open three, he'll be good. I'm not going to lie. I don't extensively have like all the details, but that's just kind of like my brief scouting report I have on him. He might still have a pretty unique like inside game or pull up. I know with deck, the face up shot looks ugly, but once he gets into moving shots, he looks like one of the best of the best, so that could be what you see from Brown, but I just see him as a guy that um, just really is a moldable piece, and you kind of use him around. I don't think we keep him because of the restraints we already have, plus he's 24, but just give him another shot. Give him a chance to impress another franchise and get him kind of on the, the right foot moving on to another franchise, just like we did with Justin Robinson, but we'll see. And we'll see if he's going to be able to play in tomorrow's game. I'll keep you posted as uh, as we kind of get news circulating around that. But one piece that we already know some new news in is going to be coming from Gabriel Deck. And it's going to be on just his current status. And ever since the Thunder signed him, I think it was April 12th, it was just crickets. We did not know what was going on with Deck. And all we knew was he is currently... In the immigration process, he's still chilling in um, in Spain, just waiting to get like a visa or whatever it was so he could play in the United States. And that was it. That's all we knew. And there was really nothing trickling out because there's not much to trickle out. I mean, he's not in a state where he can play basketball. He's not even in Oklahoma City. And that's that. But we learned, actually, this is from yesterday. This is when it first reported. But... He's in Oklahoma City right now, and this came directly from Mark Dagnalt. It got dropped on Twitter a little bit before that, but yeah, Dagnalt himself, when presented with a question like, what is going on with Deck? 
he said that he is in Oklahoma City right now, and as soon as he's cleared from his physical and his seven-day quarantine, he's going to be up and running. So he said that, and I quote, He's going to join us, and we're going to try to get him in the mix pretty quickly because we're excited about seeing him play. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, they signed him to, I think this season alone, he's making like $3.87 million or something, and he's only going to play like max 12 games, and if he's still locked up in a hotel room, you're talking 10 games. He's doing highway robbery right here, getting paid like $387,000 to play for 20 minutes a game. I feel like just to get your return on that, you got to play him starting minutes, like 35 apiece, and see him just sprout out as a player. But they definitely want to see him in. That's why I kind of suggested when he comes in, Brown might be kind of out of the door because you still have other players like Jalen Horde you need to worry about and just some of those other fringe players. But um, yeah, I think when he comes in, he's going to be the forefront that's literally, well, not literally, but that's kind of what Dagnall's hitting at. Like, when he comes in, he's going to be sort of a focal point. And he also said that he's very excited to see him play. We want to see him in an NBA game on our team. It's valuable evaluation time for us, and it's valuable experience for him. So they need to kind of scout out more pieces. I don't have an exact number on how many people have suited up for the Thunder this season, but it might be nearing 20. Like, we're just filtering in and out players, just seeing what we can kind of hit on. And Gabriel Deck is definitely up that alley. Like, whenever we got him, it was not just us. I think from um, Chema De Lucas. Yeah, I think that's who it was. He was saying that there were other teams interested, like the Clippers, and I think maybe it was the Knicks. There was another team kind of in the mix, but there were other people interested and deck chose us and it's because you know we're kind of in a spot where we could use anybody and if he kills it he's gonna have a spot for next year and that's just how that's gonna be and it could be a lot longer than one year because it's gonna be a four-year contract 14 and a half mil if he sticks on for all those four but yeah he could be settled for a very very long time the problem is though years two through four they're not even guaranteed so if he stinks it up and it doesn't seem like he can translate over to the NBA game, he might get in a spot where he only gets, like, you know, the second year. I think he'd probably get the second year, like, extended just to see more. But maybe we don't get to see all four of those years with him, or we trade him off, and that'd be another thing. Personally, from what I've seen from Deck, I would not be, you know, I would not be thinking that he's going to get waived. He is, by all accounts, another Kendrick Williams where he's good at, a lot of things not amazing at everything but he gives you everything you need and um, shooting wise as I said the set jumper it is actually really good when he's wide open and when he's been moving around he's pretty quick and on the pull-ups he gets right to motion there's no funny business like on that typical jumper he's just right out there lasering off jumpers and then around the basket just like Vit Kredge he's bumping into players to get to the foul line or just running into contact to get the uh, easy bouncer to to get the ball in the basket. I do still think, though, his main thing is being a passer. He's not like uh, Darius Baisley, where he's 6'8", 6'9", blazing by defenders and making passes off outside. He's more kind of like a Teo Maladone of some sorts, where he's going to maybe get off like a screen, and then he'll try driving into the basket, and you'll see like a no-look pass or cross-court pass 
jump pass, just that kind of stuff where it's kind of street ball moves. You don't see it coming. And yeah, I, I think it's more of like a smart thing, just using your IQ to your advantage, not just abusing your athleticism, which I'm totally cool with. I think that's a, that's definitely fair. Like, duh. But yeah, I think he's a very smart player. And that's something that should translate over. Like Teo Maladone, he has just went from playing in France to playing in the United States almost seamlessly. I think Campazzo as well, who was playing in Real Madrid with Deck last year, he's moved to the Denver Nuggets. And you see on Instagram or whatever social media it is, there's typically going to be a Campazzo highlight or two because of the passes he makes and because of some of the just highlight plays he makes. So he's kind of right there in terms of highlight ability. I think he's a lot more um, kind of restrained and refined than a guy like Poku per se, where he'll give you the highlight bang bang plays. But for that, you're going to see a couple of turnovers or just some plays where you're kind of left questioning. I don't think you see that with Deck. I think he comes in and kind of makes no rush out of things. If there's going to be any issues, I'm going to just chalk it up as jitters, just getting used to how the game is played. But when you're comparing NBA to EuroLeague ball, I think NBA is a lot easier for isolation players because the lane is always open. For a guy like Deck, he's had to deal with a center inside the lane ever since he started playing 11 years ago. Now you get that out of the way where a lot of the time the paint is open and you can drive in. I think he's going to thrive under that and it's not just based on how he finishes around the basket. It's because of how he passes. So he's a dual threat once he gets into the open floor. Is he going to be a guy that in the second unit will be getting the screens off of Tony Bradley every play and is going to be able to orchestrate? I wouldn't know for sure yet. I think in the second unit, it's more Ty Jerome working in that area. But Ty Jerome, he's kind of versatile in the fact that he'll go and get like a high ball screen. He can shoot it from up top, try to drive in and make something work. But he's also a catch-and-shoot guy. And same goes for someone like Sveen Mikhailuk. So you can put maybe Jerome, Mikhailuk, and Deck in there. Maybe get Roby or Bradley or Brown, whoever it is. And you're going to be pretty set up there. So Tony Bradley would give Deck a screen. And driving in the perimeter, I'd be pretty confident in Jerome, Sveen, or you know Roby making a shot. And even Kenrich Williams. And that makes it even more craftable. As to maybe we just completely phase out a guy like Tony Bradley. You can't shoot a mid-range or three. Make Roby the five and put Kenrich Williams at the three or four. Because Deck is six foot eight. You can do whatever you want. So you can get him surrounded by shooters. And I don't think you immediately give him the reins like that. But if you're trying to test him out in 10 games, maybe they do it like once or twice and see how it works for him. But I think that could be just a potential thing he could kind of sprout out off of I don't think he's going to be able to kill you with a quick first step but get him a deadly screen let him work and he'll start dragging defenders in or he's going to get two points right inside the uh the basket so he's versatile I want to see him play you guys definitely want to see him play the hype has sort of died down for him but it's going to be coming back up because now we know he is about to suit up for the Oklahoma City Thunder and I can't wait also can't wait because we're going to get another new guy who's going to get major minutes into debut. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's sabotage or anything, but there's going to be a little bit of cohesion issues potentially to start things out. 
that might continue the losing streak just a little bit more. And we could use really every loss we could get right now. We're, you know, one and a half games behind the four spot. Orlando's three and a half back of number one. We're five games back. And Cleveland's a half game, one and a half games behind us. So we're kind of stuck in a middle ground right now. We keep losing and the Magic somehow win one or two. Oh, we're going to be in the driver's seat come lottery day. And I think Deck, I, I think he's going to be pretty good. Like, he may not give any sort of road bumps. But if it creates issues for some other players, that could help us out. I kind of compare it to like Baisley coming back and Moses Brown being stuck in no man's land. Maybe that works with some other guys on that second unit, but I don't know. Maybe that's conspiracy theorist stuff. I'm not, I'm not quite too sure. I think another conspiracy, as I talked about in the intro, is just what's going on with the small ball. Do we keep it? Do we kind of drop it? Do we kind of flip back and forth like we've seen? And it's worth a question because Isaiah Roby in the last game was spectacular against the Wizards. Dropped 18 points, had 8 rebounds, 2 assists, a block, and a steal. Playing at the 5 almost the entire game. And because of that, you saw Tony Bradley. He hardly played. He only played 11 minutes. Got 4 points and 3 rebounds. And Moses Brown, I mean, he played really, really bad. He only played 7 minutes. Got 4 fouls in that time. Had 2 points and a rebound. So there was clear discrepancy between the two. You're going to be picking Isaiah Roby 10 times out of 10 when you stack them up on how they played, but it's kind of a whole body of work thing when you're talking who's going to be taking up the majority of the minutes moving forward, and I think that we're going to flicker on and off between Isaiah Roby. I really do. I think in the last two games, he kind of proved himself again. We took him away from the small ball five just due to the nature of Mo- of Moses Brown just emerging, and then Tony Bradley coming in, and we wanted to just evaluate him. Tony Bradley's looked really good. And that's the reason we haven't seen him much. Moses Brown, he's on the decline, so maybe that's why you start seeing Roby back. But at the time that Roby lost his job, Moses Brown was putting up all-star numbers, and we're not seeing it anymore. We're seeing him put up like Kwame Brown numbers where, you know, you're not, I'm not necessarily mad when I see him play, but he's just not producing at the same level he was earlier. And you can really just tell, maybe it's a confidence issue or something, but he's never really in sync um, with these guys anymore, you know, if it's like offensive goaltending or just missed screens, pushing people around, he's not getting the spots he needs under the rim, and I don't think he's being fed properly, so it's kind of chaos brewing because he just doesn't have any more entry passes or he's not able to get the box out spots that he likes, so he's battling with that. I think Tony Bradley, he's not really a guy that has the up and down games. He's always just on the money with us. You know, ever since he's suited up to play for the Thunder, he's looked extremely, extremely good. Like, I'm talking, this is probably the best stint he's had in his career. In 15 games, he's putting 9.2 points up and 6.4 rebounds up to in just 18 minutes. So, he'd be getting another contract somewhere. I don't know if it's with us, but he definitely is going to get a reserve role just based off how he's been playing lately. Moses Brown, we don't have him guaranteed for year two. I don't know if you'd just cut him off this season because he has looked good and then he's also not. But yeah, I mean, that's worth talking about. Probably some some point down the offseason. Whenever we hit there, I'll definitely talk about him in the podcast. But yeah, I mean, those two, 
they're taking up really that major portion of the minutes right now. And with Brown kind of getting his minutes sliced up, that leaves the crevices open for Isaiah Roby again. And with Roby, yeah, I think that it's been more beneficial seeing him at the five. If the Thunder, like Presti, Dagnall, whatever, if they meet at a round table and they decide that Brown or Bradley's not going to be playing with us next year, we're only keeping one or maybe we're keeping none of them, Isaiah Roby should just be the guy from this point because I'd assume we're going to be keeping him at least for next year. Once we get past that, you don't know, but I think he could have the inklings of a solid role player. You want to just see him kind of go back at that five position again and see how he holds up because he's been amazing in terms of us being able to spread the floor out. We just don't get it with either the two and Bradley and Brown. And I think it's something that we kind of desperately need. That's why we haven't really done so well. And I think it hurts on the rebounds too. So it's like pros and cons. But right now, I'd say it's more of a pro to have Isaiah Roby out there because we're seeing Brown kind of in a slump. And Bradley's look good, yes, but you want to see more kind of five-out offense again because it looks amazing when we see Darius Baisley in that set and even Lou Dort at times too. Just get the guys out in motion and let them play damn near iso ball for a good portion of the game and just see how it works. I think it might be a little bit sticky moving on for their next game because they're going to be playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you really think that's going to work against Joel Embiid? Definitely not. He's actually not like officially going to be set for that game. He's day-to-day, but let's just say he is. You definitely don't want to see Isaiah Roby going toe-to-toe with Embiid. That's going to be really one-sided, and it's not going to be in our favor. So maybe you do want to see it, but it worked out for Joel Embiid. And even behind him, Dwight Howard would kill him on the rebounds. They wouldn't be able to guard him. At least Howard wouldn't be able to guard him from three. But he shot one of four in the last game. I think really he's made his money's worth off of setting high ball screens and driving. But I think it would probably be more lopsided in the 76ers' favor. So that's kind of where you get into the picking and choosing of who you want to see. Against the Pacers, it made sense why Roby got time because their center O'Shea Brissett's only six foot seven, and against the Wizards, it also was just kind of forced because of Moses Brown being fouled really early, but it worked out anyways, and he was doing just fine against players like uh, Alex Lynn and Daniel Gafford. I will say that there were still some easy buckets given up around the, the basket, so it's, uh, it's kind of a flip of a coin. I want to see it happen. I think ideally, like, Roby's not the primo stretch five you have moving forward. You kind of want to hit something in the draft or free agency who could fill up that spot. But as of right now, he's a pretty good guy to lodge in there and see him work. If it starts kind of going back the other way again, sure, go back to playing centers. But I wouldn't mind maybe shedding off like five minutes a piece off of Bradley and Brown, maybe more so Brown, and giving it to Roby to where he can play in certain sets at the five, but also in some of the other units, he can play at the three and the four. Just give him more kind of samples and work from there because I think that the way he's played in his last two definitely garners him some sort of role heading in the future at the five because it's something that the Thunder have been stressing about, versatility all over the place. This is the golden chance again with Roby. He has just given you everything you needed, so... I say give him another chance, give him 10 minutes there, and also give him 10 minutes at like small forward, power forward. Once we get deck in, that might change, but you want to see Roby playing like for sure. So 
I think that's my thought. I'll go more into it in tomorrow's episode, most likely, because that is going to be the pregame um, podcast for the 76ers game. It's probably going to be more news just on everybody's front on who we're going to see active, if we're going to see Charlie Brown Jr., just stuff like that. So I'll keep you posted. And there's maybe any other tidbits leading up to the game or just in the organization as well. I will make sure to talk about it. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.